once again and welcome to another episode of the Harry Potter Book Club. I'm Trevor. I'm Alex. I'm Matt. I'm Crystal. I'm Vera. And I'm Sylvia. This week we are turning to Chapter 10 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Halloween. But before we dive in, let me remind you as always that if you have comments or questions, you can always reach out to us at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, uh, and maybe, just maybe, uh, we will feature your comment or question in an upcoming broadcast. Well, Harry Potter Book Club, uh, we have survived Chapter 9 and our first foray uh, into the lair of Fluffy the Three-Headed Dog. Mm -hmm. um, and now, at breakfast the next day, a mysteriously shaped package arrives for Harry. Yeah, I, I feel like in the in the movies, they're always so clearly broomstick-shaped that it really couldn't be anything else. And it's like, well, why don't you just open it? Yeah. But I, I like to think that there was some packaging involved, like maybe it was in a box inside the wrapping. And that's why everybody didn't just jump on Harry and go, what is that? Open it. I want to see it. What kind of broomstick did you get? You're not supposed to have a broomstick your first year. Agreed. There is all it that. does not make sense to me that a that so much would just come wrapped in paper yep. that modern packaging techniques had not been adopted by most of the shops in Diagon Alley. Because almost everything else. But, but like we see this a on a lot of other things in Diagon Alley that often they do have things packaged. Sure. Well, it's packaged, and she doesn't want them, uh, the rest of the student body, to see that it's a broomstick, right. I think, for, first and foremost. But possibly also she doesn't want the rest of the student body to see that it is a Nimbus 2000, mm -hmm. which happens to be the latest model out there for broomsticks. Yeah. An extra privilege for Harry was purchased by the school, or maybe by Professor McGonagall herself. We don't really find out. But since he doesn't have... Guardians, he didn't even have to buy his broom. Like everybody else on the team. Mm. This creates another context for conflict with Malfoy. If anybody was fooled by the shape of the packaging at the table, uh, Malfoy wasn't. He immediately says, that's a broomstick. And assumes that you know Harry has gone off and, and done some mischief to, to get his hands on this. He thinks that uh, this is this is my chance to make sure that Harry gets into lots of trouble. And yet they still, the boys still manage not to actually completely spill the beans. Like they don't say, Harry's the new seeker on the Gryffindor Quidditch team. Right? They just say, no, it's a, it's a really nice broomstick. It's a Nimbus 2000. And then when Flitwick shows up, he says, oh, yes, I heard all about the special circumstances. But it's just interesting to me that Harry doesn't feel the need to brag to Malfoy in that moment because he totally could, and he'd be so justified. Yeah, he would, and we think that if the tables were turned, Malfoy oh, would yeah. definitely play that up mm -hmm. um, just so he could push Harry further down. Yeah. Well, in some way, this, though, is kind of gloating to Malfoy. I mean, he even says, like, it's thanks to Malfoy here that I have this broom when right. Flitwick asks about it. So he is in some ways gloating. He's not saying I'm the seeker, but he knows later that that's going to be even more kind of vindication. Mm -hmm. But I, I love that he's like, this is the per Because they were, he and Ron were even, like, thinking of ways they could get back at Malfoy for the whole midnight duel thing that he set them up on. So this was sort of like a little bit of a taste of that vindication he's going to get, especially as he later faces Slytherin. And maybe, maybe even that not knowing, because he, they say that Malfoy was left in obvious rage and confusion. I mean, that just not knowing has to kill him. Like, mm -hmm. what do you mean I helped you get this? Like, what, what are you talking about? And just thinking about that. Maybe he can piece things together, but it's definitely not concrete. And so he's thinking, how did I help Harry? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't help Harry. How did I help Harry get this broom? And why does he get to have it? Yes. And I think, like we're seeing, we're seeing a little bit of of how Malfoy just keeps getting fueled. His hatred for Harry just keeps getting fueled because every time he approaches Harry, he expects to have him to see him getting in trouble. Like this last time when he when he um, 
challenged Harry to the duel, he came up and he was like, are you expelled yet? Kind of thing because of the Remember All incident. But then Harry was like, no, and I can take you any time. Here we go. And then Malfoy comes up and he's like, that's a broomstick. You're going to get, you're going to get in trouble. And Harry's like, no, I'm allowed to have this broomstick. And so, um, kind of this like swagger that Harry has that Snape hates him so much for, we're seeing a little bit of that. And it's something that Malfoy is, is getting very frustrated with, I think early on. Harry inexplicably receives all of the privileges Malfoy believes that he is entitled to. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. You can see him being progressively, like, galled and scandalized Mm -hmm. by things continuing to mount up in Harry's favor this way. Yeah. And we also see that since that night out uh, of the missing duel, I guess, or the, the... the duel that didn't happen and almost getting killed and and worse, almost getting expelled. Hermione uh, is definitely angry with the pair of Harry and Ron. And uh, we see that you know, she says, so I suppose you think that's a reward for breaking the rules. You know, here, here she is, the rule follower. She sticks her nose up in the air and walks away. So definitely Hermione. Which you can understand mm-hmm. why she, she's she's saying there, I don't want you to come away with the wrong lesson here. The lesson isn't, ooh, breaking the rules pays off. It is, oh my, what a stroke of good fortune. <laughs> but I should probably not press my luck again. I think it. there's a charitable way of reading it, uh, which is that Hermione isn't just... Um, nitpicking about rule following from a sense of superiority because she obeys but it actually cares about these people they they are probably even here the closest thing uh, to friends that she has at Hogwarts and, and I think in, in some ways though not the most tactful way of saying it we, we could construe that as an act of love, kindness, of concern says, I, I want what's best for you. Make sure you're not getting the wrong message here. And also a concern for just the common welfare, like if they're going to lose points, you know, mm-hmm. for the good of the house. I think she's concerned about that as well. Yeah. yeah. Are we going to go through the rules of Quidditch? <sighs> Quidditch. <laughs> what a game. I, I got to be honest. I read this really quickly today. Yeah. Because I just feel like once you learn Quidditch, it's pretty ingrained. And mm-hmm. yeah, there is something I do want to point out, though. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, and it struck me when I read this, is that I, at the either or sorry, at either end of the field were three golden poles with hoops on the end. They reminded Harry of the little plastic sticks Muggle children blew bubbles through, except that they were fifty feet high, and. I don't know if this is true, uh, but this is the first time that I've seen Rowling put in Harry's head the term muggle. So is he now starting to actually think like a wizard? Um, he's, he, he was, you know, he, I mean, before he was accepted into Hogwarts and knew that he was a wizard, you know, he thought, oh, I'm just a person, I'm a human being. But I, this is the first time I've seen Rowling actually put those together and make it seem like Harry's thinking in the terms of wizards. Mm. Um, now, later on, he, you know, when they start talking about putting the quaffle through those hoops, you know, he then reverts right back mm-hmm. and says, oh, that kind of sounds like basketball, you know, and then mm-hmm. Wood is like, you know, what's basketball? Yep. You know, basically showing that, oh, I am still mm-hmm. uh, part of that muggle world, but it, it just... It was interesting and it struck me yeah. that, that there's a change starting to happen. With yeah, Harry. the lines are starting to blur. Mm-hmm. Harry isn't just an outsider, he's becoming an insider. Uh, although this early on, his sort of outsider status and, and ignorance comes through every now and then. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we, you know, we see those on the same page, like you were just pointing out. I hadn't thought of, the, of that. Um, I, think, I think that's a good catch. You know, just. Logically speaking, Rowling had to eventually start 
using wizarding language to um, to describe Harry's state of mind. But yeah, I I think you may be right. I'd be interested to go back and read the, the past few chapters and see if that is indeed uh, the first time. If if it is, I think it definitely shows whether consciously or not on her part that Harry is setting one foot into the wizarding world and feeling far more at home there than he did before. Yeah. One thing that kind of bothers me is Wood has no idea what basketball is, right? But then when we get to snitch practice, he's throwing golf balls for Harry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like he has this very selective knowledge of muggle sports. I always picture someone else like introducing him to golf balls as like some sort of Snitch that he can like something shaped thing. Right. Yeah, so I'm, I picture almost like Dumbledore being like, "Oh, give him these," because mm-hmm. you know he reads Muggle magazines and he's really interested in like knitting patterns. <laughs> Maybe he's run across a golf magazine, but that, yeah. that's always bothered me. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if it has something to do with where Hogwarts is located, given mm. that like basketball is a primarily hmm. urban. I mean, it was invented in the United States. It's an American sport that's been exported around the world, but is almost all exclusively in urban settings. Mm-hmm. A lot of these are high. I mean, these are a very exclusive community. The the witches and wizards, and it seems like a lot of them live in the countryside. And Wood and is a Scot. Wood is mm. a Scot. The golf so course. it just mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like you'd be that difficult if you're flying around on your broomstick and. In Scotland, you're probably going to hit a golf course fairly yeah, that's soon. That's fair. True. That's fair. Geography. Ireland, too, for the mm-hmm. the Irish involved in Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Very true. Now, when we when we meet some more urban wizards, <laughs> maybe they'll have a better grasp of the... Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I don't think we need to actually go through all the rules. Yeah. Um, of Quidditch. Yeah, there's it's, there's another book that does that. Yes. Right. Although I will take this opportunity to say again that I just the the seeker and and this sport. I mean, it's too, far too powerful. You know, I mean, pretty much if you catch the snitch, you win. It creates definitely that hero dynamic. Not I necessarily. guess. Necessarily. I, I do realize. Yes, I realize that there is that. One, yeah, once once in a in a hundred times there's gonna be mm-hmm. that time where yes, you can score more points mm-hmm. than the snitch actually gives you. But it so rarely happens that it might as well not not even be part of the game as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, You'd also like one of the pitfalls of that is you can imagine a lot of mysterious afflictions befalling seekers before matches because they're gonna yeah. be the victims of every like yeah, this, well, you take out one person, like yeah, yeah and Wood okay. says that. That's why seekers get fouled so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which You're it vulnerable. seems like you wouldn't super want to say to your brand new first year seeker, but oh, <laughs> he yeah. does. If, yeah, I, I wish that maybe they could take the point value down, you mm-hmm. know, or maybe not make the seeker so important that you know once he catches it, it's like boom, the game's over, and you pretty much win most of the time. The vast majority of the time, mm-hmm. if they'd gotten maybe uh, 50 points or 75 points, then it becomes more of a game where, oh, are we up? Are we? I mean, are we up by more than 75? Are we down? But you know, then it becomes a game where you actually do have to play with the rest of the the sport that's going on down below mm-hmm. instead of just a snitch. And uh, do, does it talk about how far the snitch can go? Because um, I I almost imagine it's like there's like a it's orbiting and there's mm-hmm. like the starting point and it can only go so far but it can go in any one direction it's like but they talk about these matches that go on for you know weeks three months is what they said was one so yeah so does the snitch where like, the heck is the snitch and all this like well if you think about a, a foggy British three months of fog or something mm-hmm. I mean, um, yeah I think as soon as I was introduced to the rules the first time reading through the book. That was my initial worry as well. I think uh, Rowling addresses some of that at the, the Quidditch World Cup, yeah. where she actually shows us an instance where you know that concern doesn't pan out in the way that we would expect. But my instinct 
with you is that that's a pretty rare occurrence unless you start having matches that extend days and weeks and then it's entirely conceivable that over that course of time even a team that's only slightly better than another would amount an, an incredible lead yeah um, I can see that but then it, like I just have to push back and say why did Victor Crumb why did he catch the snitch why didn't he wait until his team was within the point value you know that should come into play of like you need to be paying attention mm-hmm. what the mm-hmm. score is oh I need to get 150 points mm-hmm. and we the other team is up by more than 150 and so again I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole but into you know, book four yes <laughs> and, and, yeah into book four but still I do wish that the point value for catching the snitch was a little bit less so yeah. the seeker was not you know so important to the game yeah one person is not so important to the game I'm with you. That said, Rowling invented a sport mm-hmm. whose rules could be fairly easily summarized um, that had staying power power with yeah. her readers. So even, even though um, I would agree that the point allotment to snitch catching is too high and that sort of instinctually that sort of messes with the sort of competitive balance of the game to invent a sport that works in this narrative universe that you've created and that keeps your audience interested in its outcomes that's a pretty tall order Mm -hmm. and and to do it in a way that is easily summarized and easily communicated especially in book one to a primarily uh, children's audience. I, I think she does quite a commendable job, even if we can find things that yeah. we wish we did. And we can't neglect to mention that she invented a sport that then became a sport in real life. Yeah, mm-hmm. people play this. So I would love that, would be fun. We should play Quidditch. Yes. Yes, we will have a special edition of the podcast. Where we record all the audio. <laughs> Just the audio. <laughs> all the audio of us. It's a podcast. Running yes. around Well, on it'll be up to you, readers, whether or not we're actually space. doing it. Um... But one thing that, as you guys were talking about how much power the Seeker has, it really, it just is such a picture of Harry and his life. Like, he's on a team with other people, but he's the most important person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they, you know, they're going to make small victories throughout, but really, he's the clincher. And that's Harry's life. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's just, not not I guess his past life, but it is going to yeah, be his future his life. Yeah, that's his destiny. Yeah, as it were. So, I will say that Quidditch through the ages, the companion volume, is a short but fun read. It goes into the history of broom uh, design and manufacturing and all of the various wizarding sports that sort of evolutionarily led up to Quidditch being dominant. Um, And it gives an interesting perspective um, on the way Rowling goes on to narrate the Quidditch matches and throw in tidbits and fun facts here and there. So we get done, Harry's had his lesson, and he's actually now in the next, I guess, part of this chapter, we realize he's so busy with Quidditch and his uh, homework and classes and things like that, that um, he's been at Hogwarts now two months, so two months has flown by, and it's already Halloween, and that's where we kind of pick up. Well, in the detail there, the castle felt more like home than Privet Drive ever had. Yeah. I think that is an explicit detail that gives credence to what you were pointing out, that the language of muggles has started to be internalized because the castle is his home and Privet Drive... Never was. Yeah, exactly. So one thing that comes to mind whenever they deal with holidays like... Christmas, later on, Uh or right now, Halloween, which is meant to be All Hallows' Eve, as in the day before All Saints' Day. Um, 
where they get any concept of religion uh, in these books. I mean, is it seems like it's like totally absent, and yet it's a part of the culture. Like they still which is take just breaks. like real life, which is just like real life. No, but it's but <laughs> at, well at the same time, many people that have no religious beliefs celebrate Christmas and Halloween of of because course. they've been appropriated into the culture. But they can still usually point back and say, "Well, these are the, you know, these are the source books. These are the people that actually still believe this." And it's it is a little bit strange to me that there isn't some wizarding religion, mm-hmm. right? Like that that for this community to have existed for however many hundreds of years in secret with its own life never develops like a set of beliefs about the divine when it has magic around all the time. Like it that I don't know. That always seemed like a big hole mm-hmm. in the Harry Potter universe. And it's not explained in any way, shape, or form. When there's a certain mm-hmm. lack of this in, like, uh, the Tolkien universe, <clears throat> they're, they explain it in other ways by reference to, uh, you know, Aya and the, the, the way that their whole created order works, and you can find out more about that in the Cimmerillion and whatnot. And there's nothing here that sort of is like, this is why we're not seeing. Mm-hmm. Mm this expression. I mean, every other culture in history has had some kind of religious expression. I think it's just a really sticky thing to delve into, especially when you're writing children's books, to try to create a mythology or a religion for this universe that feels plausible but still is whimsical enough to be contained, I I don't know. I think it's just a really tough thing to tackle, so she didn't try to. Yeah. It's um, a good explanation. But, but it's interesting because I don't know that there's any reference to God. We already talked about Godparents in an earlier episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Godparents. And so but there's so there's the sort of trappings of religion. And recognitions of, of holidays and certain ritual practices and whatnot, but the existential questions that uh, are at the heart of religious systems of belief are by and large n- never tackled. Which it, it I, I I understand what you're saying. The it seems a glaring hole because. Wizarding culture, we've already commented, is in many ways so complete. Like she has crafted a world that is, I mean, it touches on politics, it touches Economy. on currency mm-hmm. uh, and, and financial uh, institutions, it, education, uh, recreation. Duration. Yes, absolutely. Racial, ethnic, class distinctions, yeah. these sorts of things. It's got its own history and development going back ages. And yet, something that is present in every culture that has ever existed isn't isn't ever evidenced here. And and I think it's important to point out that at least from the way I'm hearing, the critique isn't that she doesn't try to take a stance on the issues. It's that it's like even in the narration, the issues are never even being talked Mm -hmm. about. We never see them crossing characters' minds. Mm-hmm. And I think, really, she's just kind of boiled it down to this essential goodness and evil, this dichotomy that kids are, you know, it's easier for kids to understand to be a good person, to be a bad person, and then you have these kind of ultimates, like Voldemort is an incredibly evil wizard, and there are followers that semi-worship him. Right, and so you have these figures that kind of take on a certain godhood because of their power and because of their influence, but they're men, mm. and they're mortal. Yeah, that's interesting. The, the, the sort of human dynamics of religion mm-hmm. and the inescapability of worship yeah. at the human level are present all throughout sure. uh, the book. But it is interesting that we never have characters dealing with 
right. some, of, some of these questions. But I, I, I think, you know, your point here is well taken. An author has the prerogative to limit the scope of the universe that she's creating. Um, it seems like Rowling has, has definitely done that here. Mm-hmm. So I, one question I did have was, what is Halloween to the Wizarding World? You know, because at least in our modern time and the way we celebrate it, it's a time to to trick-or-treat and dress up as something we're not and, I mean, have fun. And it's, you know, what is it to them? Because, like, it's perfectly acceptable to dress up as a witch or wizard on Halloween. And (laughs) so I I would think that somehow this holiday kind of connects, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, the wizarding world to the muggle world um, in some way and so what do you guys think about that yeah we never really see the dress up element at Halloween which would be kind of funny if they were dressing up as muggles or something (laughs) different different muggle occupations but um, mostly what they do is they feast and they decorate so we see pumpkins and bats Mm -hmm. and then they're eating lots of food and in, a, in, the, and in the movie, lots of candy. And you know there's jack-o'-lanterns and <laughs> yeah. things like that. So there's some things that we can definitely relate to. I just didn't right. know what Halloween was to the Wizarding World. Mm-hmm. It is the Hogwarts. Now, when they said bats, mm-hmm. did you all take that to mean like actual bats? Live or like bats. some kind of... I did. Yeah. Because that does not seem like a good idea. Mm-hmm. Like, bats, like many other creatures that fly, do not like just sort of wait until they're sedentary to do their business. And if you are having all these bats... I thought about the same thing. I can't lie. Over the table. I would imagine that there's some... Like like enchanted bats. Like the the birds that Hermione conjures. That kind of thing. Guys, owls bring... Yeah, there's poop all over that. Yeah, owls fly in and out every day. So we're worried about bats. But we're talking about we're talking about thousands day. of bats that keep we're continuously about hundreds of owls yeah. every day. Yeah, but thousands of bats are continuously flying overhead, and so I, I don't know. Maybe I, I this is just another part of the danger element at, yeah. at Hogwarts. You may <laughs> so, also get poop you know. In your suit. <laughs> to, to our listeners, we may need to put this on our Twitter. Uh, I can handle that to Trevor. But we actually had just yesterday. I'm pulling up for us. To see, we had this uh, incident where see the bat droppings falling. Oh yeah, yesterday. Mm-hmm. This was our our little Lots of poop. buddy who lives by our front door, Mr. Bat. But yeah, there's there's poop involved anytime there's bats involved. We've learned that firsthand. Mm-hmm. For the record, not not our buddy. <laughs> well, really disturbed to find that he was living and, and perched like they... beside our front door. Not the most hospitable. Uh, Person, person, get creature. To, They're just to very. You should get a bad box. Um, cute is all. He's very cute. We need to name him. Anyway, are we back to back to Hogwarts? We'll, we'll get off Halloween. the poop for, yeah, for yeah, a bit. Let's long. get back I, to uh, uh, go on. I wanted to go back to the the Halloween thing because um, one thing we see um, Harry remembers, or he's in book seven um, after Godric's Hollow. Harry somehow is possessed by Voldemort and he remembers what Voldemort remembers from the night he came to destroy Harry, which was Halloween night. And he passes by a child in Godric's Hollow who's trick-or-treating and he's dressed up. Voldemort does. And if Godric's Hollow is an Mm all-wizarding village, Mm. then I think we can at least somewhat assume that there are wizard children who dress up and trick-or-treat at Halloween. very deep. I like it. So I thought that Godric's Hollow was mixed. I think it's a wizarding village. I thought it was pure wizarding. Okay, yeah, one is one of the things I'm thinking of. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that makes it distinctive. Is that it's one of a handful of communities that's Hmm. exclusively wizarding. Maybe Muggle children venture in, but what I took that was that it was a Mm -hmm. wizard child. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, wouldn't that be funny for a, mu- a muggle child to like go to Godric's Hall of uh, like on Halloween and be like, "This place is always the best on Halloween." Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> these people do it to the nines. Yeah. Oh I my have god, no it's idea how they made that happen. Oh, uh, that that. you imagine being a muggle and getting wizard candy when you trick or treat? That'll be the coolest. Like, this thing. is this is crazy. That's like Rob jumped out of my trick or treating bag. <laughs> how did they do it? Gosh, the best magicians. I have ever seen it. <laughs> I'd like to talk about uh, Charms class. Because mm. this is a pretty big scene that it's big in the movies and the scene when Godium Leviosa is used. You just wanted to say that. I did mm-hmm. want to say that. I don't know. We were all wondering who would be the first one to break it. It was me. It was me. <laughs> but yeah, what'd you guys think of this scene? Well, I mean, it, it's a it's a good brief setup because it's gonna pay off in a couple pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I I think it's it's handy. It's a it's a cool spell. They're all excited to learn, and Hermione's the only one that can do it. So it's more proof that she can put her money where her mouth is when she's being sassy. She yes. <laughs> she can actually perform the magic. Um, but then that leads to Ron being frustrated with her. And talking behind her back, um, which she overhears, and then runs past them crying. Hmm. Sad. Yes. It's a sad scene, but you, I mean, you even see Ron, he looks, he says, he looked a bit uncomfortable yeah. um, after saying that. So it's one of those instances where we've all had, you know, that you put your foot in your mouth and you realize somebody has overheard something and some feelings have definitely been hurt and um, I, you know you see Ron you still kind of love him but Ron is being mean at this moment mm-hmm. he is yeah. to someone he will care about very much in the future I, this is kind of huge I just realized Hermione didn't turn up for the next class right yeah. and wasn't seen all afternoon so that really wrecked her yeah. she missed classes is this evidence that even at this point, Hermione liught Ron? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't get that sense I'm going to say that I mean, while. like, if she was so upset I, there's by this nothing to one like about guy's Ron comment. From Hermione's but, perspective. Well, what if she thinks she, he's cute? No. I, I, <laughs> I, read his description. I, I think that Ron, I mean, kind of hits it a, a little on the head in that she is so bossy and know-it-all and sassy that she doesn't really have a lot of friends and that she was really getting close to Harry and Ron and thinking, well, these guys are my friends, you know, mm-hmm. and then coming to a realization that, oh, maybe they're not my friends, you know, this is what they really think of me when... I'm not there with them. And I think we all have trouble seeing ourselves clearly. So she, you know, the Hermione that we're reading is kind of neutral outsider. She probably doesn't see herself in that way. And so I think to hear it put that brutally, it would really hurt because she doesn't see herself as a bossy know-it-all. She sees herself as like smart, dedicated, helpful, safe, safe, you know, cautious, concerned for the well-being of all kind of a person. And so, um, yeah, I think it it would really sting. Yeah. Yeah. So, then we get news that there's a troll in the dungeon from Professor Quirrell. Which sets off exactly what he was hoping to. It sets off a panic. A giant uproar, right. Um, With uh, prefects trying to lead all their houses to um, to their dormitories. And then Ron and Harry split off from the group to go and find Hermione because they feel responsible for her. Or at least Harry does. (laughs) <laughs> it struck me as interesting, though, the detail where Quirrell comes sprinting into the hall, his turban askew and terror on his face. Mm-hmm. Because I'm reading that thinking, if I've got Voldemort on the back of my head, I'm going to be careful with my turban. Right. Like, I'm probably not going to want my turban askew because all it takes is one puffle, Hufflepuff saying, I'm pretty sure I saw, like, a mouth <laughs> on a the secondary back. secondary face. <laughs> on the, like... <laughs> There was somebody smiling at me from the back of Professor Quirrell's head. Like, I don't know. I'm sitting here saying, does he use double-sided tape to keep Mm. this thing on? Because, and and this this is serious, though. My 
initial reaction, his turban askew and terror on his face, was to think, is the terror because he's afraid that Voldemort's going to be exposed with his turban askew? I don't think that's mm -hmm. what's happening. I think he's playing up right. the troll thing. But that was just a funny detail that yeah. I'd want to guard against if I were harding, or harboring uh, the Dark Lord. Mm. Well, Especially in light of the fact that Hufflepuffs are excellent finders. To do this in front of them seems like it would be the <laughs> most risky of the options you have available. I, I wonder... If it's a little hint, like the turban was a ski, like he'd just been in conference with Voldemort and he put it back hurriedly, you know? Mm. I don't know. I don't That's know. what I assumed yeah. when I saw it as Hugh. I just, was, I'm in agreement with Vera. Okay, no. let's talk about that for a bit. Okay. How, how, do you think he keeps a mirror with him? Yeah. So that he then puts mm -hmm. a one mirror so that... <laughs> <laughs> a little compact. Mm -hmm. You can put it in your pocket. That's yeah. what I was thinking. The same way we check, like, hairline... In the back, yeah. make sure everything's straight after a haircut. Sure, he's like he's carrying on conversations. That's what I figured. People, right. people would often walk by the faculty restroom, wondering why Quirrell was talking to himself, like while Smeagol. not looking at himself in the mirror, but standing with, facing the door with two voices, with two voices <laughs> talking to himself yeah. with. Two voices. <laughs> I did, I did love, however. Uh, that as the panic ensues, everybody is, is moving, jostling, and it says of Ron and Harry uh, that they jostled their way through a crowd of confused Hufflepuffs. <laughs> Which, and we have talked about this in an earlier episode, like where does this bias against Hufflepuffs come from? Increasingly, I'm thinking it comes, it comes from Rowling herself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Disavow it. Though she may, and and granted, there, we've we've already reviewed tons of great characteristics, Hufflepuffs have. But the the image here is of everybody like freaking out or taking control, like prefects are, you know, going into prefect mode, and Hufflepuffs are like, what? I know. See, that's what's funny. Is if it was any other, if it was any other house, I would read it differently. I would assume it was because Harry and Ron were jostling them and they were confused, but because. General confusion that surrounds them. Well, well, hold on. You're being told to leave the Great Hall, which is where all the teachers are already. And the feast. and you have to leave the food. Yeah, why not just shut the door? And I mean, that's right. That's that's was in the dungeon. Let's stay in the Great Hall. Right. It's it's a fantastically defensible position mm -hmm. where you already have all of your everything. I mean, like. What they are confused about, I think, is something entirely logical. Well, there's probably many doors to the Great Hall, and we noticed I that... I know. I think this is that one big one. I, well, I, I mean, I, I don't know either. In the movies, it feels like there's multiple doors. You know? in the yeah, in the movies, in the movies there's multiple there doors. There's and doors. Ron and Hermione, it's not too far of a walk to get to the girls' bathroom where the troll does end up getting some... We don't know exactly where the Great Hall is in relation to the dungeon, or at least I don't. Maybe you guys do. But... You know, maybe the the dungeon's pretty close to the gate hall. Maybe that's why they're dungeons are not usually places though with like their own entrances and exits. Like a dungeon is usually where you place things <laughs> that you don't want to leave. So how something got it's a there trip. first? Well, no, I understood, but um, you know, Hogwarts for all of its eccentricities, I just I don't understand the architecture that would put like. Here is an easy way into the castle in the dungeon. But we do know Voldemort is a Slytherin, and he already, as heir of Slytherin, had secret knowledge about Hogwarts construction. We see that especially in book two. Secret passages. So perhaps, so perhaps the fact that the troll through. going through the dungeons, perhaps... Yeah, that, makes more that sense. actually makes more sense. I just I have to say, for the record, I love that your reading of Hufflepuff confusion is, hmm, this this is a phenomenally defensible position. I'm not sure <laughs> why logically we would leave. And mine was, what? <laughs> <laughs> 
And maybe because Alex is a Hufflepuff. Yes. <laughs> so he's going to defend them. I don't, I don't think I'm biased. <laughs> I, it, does, it is a little bit like, let's all go to our dormitory. Slytherin, go to your dormitory in the dungeon. Yeah. Where are the trolls? Where the troll is. Like, are the Slytherins going somewhere else? Because it seems like they're going to the dorm. Yeah. It's a little bit concerning. And they're just like, oh, yeah, sure, we're being sent to our death. Yeah. No. That'll be fine. Doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Harry, or, yeah, Harry and Ron are now breaking the rules once again, we see. Uh, and they're doing it, I guess, for a good reason that they think is because of them. I mean, they said something to Hermione behind her back, she heard. So now they're breaking the rules again for her. I think this is the first time we see Harry too sort of going to this sacrificial kind of role. He's willing to risk his own safety for someone else and that's a huge theme throughout the entire series is Harry where adults might be limited or where magic might be limited it seems Harry's not. Like he's like kind of what you were saying earlier earlier Vera about him being like the clincher. You'd think that all of these teachers and adults could handle this troll but while they're still somewhere trying to get students to safety, Harry is risking his neck, literally, on the back of this troll, and comes out like, here, here we're good, the troll's, the troll's done, just as the adults right. come in. So they, they seem very limited, while Harry doesn't seem to be limited. Mm-hmm. Post yeah. back to the Dumbledore question to me, is how much is Dumbledore intentionally like putting Harry in danger? Or, like, deliberately not intervening because of the whole prophecy and mm. wanting yeah. Harry to get to live into his destiny. Because I, I agree with you on that. Well, we know they also do see something pretty suspicious on their way to the mm-hmm. uh, bathroom to get Hermione. Uh, they see that Snape is heading up to the third floor corridor. And so that definitely sits mm-hmm. in the back of their mind. Or, oh, hey, where's he going? He's kind of separating from the rest of the group. So that's a, a, a nice little plot point, you know, that will come back mm-hmm. later too. Mm-hmm. And that's part of something Rowling does that has us guessing all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a stroke of genius that she can create a character that no matter how many times we think we've figured him out, we haven't figured him out. We, there's still doubt about who Severus Snape really is. This is one of the first... Always. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the first... I like it. ...details that we get where, oh, Snape isn't just unlikable, he's doing something suspicious. And you know, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll put two and two together later on, but you know, even when there's resolution at the end of this book, or resolution multiple times where his actions are explained, she keeps us guessing. And I, I love the fact that uh, Rowling as an author can write a character and write really an entire plot that leaves us questioning uh, mm. who he is. I have a question for you guys. I wonder what you guys think. Um, There's this moment at the end where Hermione takes the blame. And not only does she take the blame for the whole troll incident, but she right out lies about it and says that she went looking for the troll. Mm -hmm. And I like get the taking the blame. But I don't know why she couldn't have just said, I was in the bathroom Mm -hmm. and Harry and Ron were worried about me. And so they came to warn me about the troll and then it showed up where no one's in trouble. But why do you guys think she lied the way she did? Why do you think she said that she went looking for it? I'm with you. I think, like, my response always to that point is, that was unnecessary. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of, like, constructing a plot where things are parallel one character did something and now another character is doing something and Hermione sort of has to eat her own words and you know do something 
against the rule, but also exercise dishonesty toward a teacher. But she does it for certain noble reasons and sort of understands that perspective. Now, like I see the symmetry that yeah. Rowling was created there, but it it was problematic to me as well that it seemed like the truth would have done just fine. Not only just fine, even better. Better, yeah. She wouldn't have lost points. Exactly. She wouldn't have been in trouble at all, it wouldn't seem. Right. And I get that it bonds them because, you know, she... That goes against her instinct so much, and they know that. And so, you know, she did that for them, and so now we're all friends. But it just seems unnecessary. <laughs> and so, I don't know. Anybody else have an opinion on that? And people do love finding some way to blame someone for something. Like, if there's something terrible that happened, like, Troll comes in, right now we don't see any, like, anybody to blame for this incident with them in the bathroom. Um, and so perhaps um, that would lead to more questions being asked about the situation, um, rather than when she said, oh, I did this thing, and then they did this other thing, and then they can easily say, good, bad, done. It sort of evens things out, as opposed to just all being good. And then you're like, oh, well. I think uh, one reason or uh, one explanation could be that uh, Hermione, I, I guess, you know, they were breaking the rules in that they went to look for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they can say, oh, well, we were worried about her. You know, she was in the bathroom. Uh, but then there's this, well, why didn't you just tell a teacher? Um, mm-hmm. And I, maybe she panicked in the moment. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe she thought, like, oh, they you know, they broke the rules, and therefore I'm going to. And like you said, it, it did bond them. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this troll scenario where it's different from the fluffy scenario where they stumbled in there and then they just ran out as soon as they could. Like, this was something where Ron and Harry purposefully put themselves in danger trying to save Hermione and even the last sentence of this uh, this chapter is you know there are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other and knocking out a 12 foot tr- mountain troll is one of them you know it's it's one of those things that I feel like this is a, a really touching end to this chapter and it's one that you know, really brings the group, the trio together, um, you know, for the first time. And, and this is the beginning of their journey through all the books. Yeah, but agree. again, I can't answer, you know, why didn't Normani just tell yeah. the, the truth, you know? I but, mean, the only other thought I have is that it's a little bit um, more heroic sounding than I was crying in the bathroom. Yeah. Which is the truth of it. So I wonder if she just wanted to make herself sound a little bit more brave in that moment. I don't know. My thought it was is just that you know, they were just... She heard what Ron said about her being kind of like a busybody. She must have noticed she's got no friends. And this was her sh- kind of showing them. I'm going to show you that... I'll do what it takes to to be your friend, to make mm-hmm. friends with you, and and it did ultimately lead in their bonding. Yeah. But to me, it was her showing I'll I will do I can, I can be cool. I don't know, putting that in quotes. <laughs> you know, I can do these things that you're doing, and it was her sort of putting to death that that idea of her being this like perfect know it all who can't have friends because she's too much of a teacher's pet. It was her mm-hmm. saying. No, I I will lie to this teacher to show you guys because I think Matt was right earlier in what he said that Harry and Ron are probably and Neville are probably the closest thing to friends that she has, mm-hmm. and then she hears that they don't like her, so this is her way of getting in their good grace, right? Even if it means losing points, which was precisely the thing she was getting on to them about when they snuck out of mm-hmm. the portrait hole. And they earlier. didn't end up losing points then, but she did at right. this point or at this juncture. And wasn't it ironic that the spell that was so handy in the defeat of the troll was the same spell that started this whole thing in the process? And what spell was that, Matt? It was Wingardium Leviosa. (laughs) Leviosa. 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 
Yeah, that is a beautiful wrap up to that. That it was that spell that she was helping him with. And in the in the movie, I think that scene is so beautiful because Hermione's under the sink going like swish and flick. Yeah, and like and Ron is like remembering to make the guy nice and long. It's just it's yeah. such a sweet scene. Yeah. I think the point allocation is ridiculous. I know. I, sorry, yeah. I five can't end the episode each. without saying that taking away five points. Fine. That's that's obviously she made a grave miscalculation. Yet, as we discussed, Hogwarts is full of danger. They expect that students face it. Shouldn't be five points worthy in my mind. Only five points for taking down a mountain troll as a first year two months in? Yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, this is like they're telling the prefects to, like, take the kids upstairs so that the adults can handle it. <laughs> and, like, two children yep. handled it. Yeah. Maybe that's why. we got to keep this quiet. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other kids finding out what happened. Well, they also said, so I mean, you're pretty foolish. You know, I, I don't think they wanted to give him too many points right. to make sure, like, oh, everybody go looking for a troll and, yeah. you know, bring it to the castle and show us what you did to it. You know, I mean, it's one of those where... Okay, you did a good job by saving your friend here, but you know, not too good of a job. You shouldn't have done this. You should have told a teacher. Again, you should have let the big boys handle it. Mm-hmm. The big boys and girls. Like in the movie, McGonagall says, for sheer dumb luck. That's yeah. what they got the points for. Not for talent or anything like that. Yeah. And so- we, we know that it really wasn't talent because one was uh, Juan being shoved yeah, up a nose. An and I, I will say Ron was cool under pressure, you know, mm-hmm. being able to, to say that spell. I guess He said the first him. spell that came to his mind. He wasn't, he yeah. just, it just happened to work out. What if him. it had been Hello Homora? I'm <laughs> 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 in Great. trouble. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. The, the point allocation may be the professorial way of saying, so I suppose you think that's a reward for breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of the, the same perspective Hermione had at yeah. the beginning of this chapter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't want to make you feel too good mm-hmm. about doing something you shouldn't have done. Yeah. Well, we've had a number of nice, tidy wrap-ups uh, to Chapter 10. Next time, we will be looking at Chapter 11, Quidditch, as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Remember, if you have comments or questions, you can reach out to us at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.